Submitted. We'll hear argument next, number 001249. Uh, Karen Kroc Thomas and Windy City Hemp Development Board versus the Chicago Park District. Mr. Wilson. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. In the unanimous opinion in Friedman versus Maryland, this Court stated that when the government imposes a permit requirement on the exercise of free speech, that permit scheme must include certain procedural safeguards, which are there quite obviously to prevent the unwarranted and perhaps unlawful delay or suppression of speech that might occur without them. Well, Friedman was a quite different case from the present one. Do you agree with that, don't you? I mean, there you're talking about some form of censorship. Here you're talking about a permit to use a park that a lot of other people want to use. Well, I agree that there's a difference between the two cases. This case begs for more protection than the speech involved in Friedman, because, after all, the Friedman case was specifically, uh, specifically arose from a censorship scheme which was aimed at sexually explicit speech. This is a case involving core political speech, and although the case well, is... Is this content neutral, in, this, view, in your view, the regulation? I, I believe that the regulation in this case is content neutral. Right. It is rife with the opportunity to make viewpoint-based decisions, but not on its face. Well, and I, I, I have to say that I, in thinking about the case, I suppose analytically this is a prior restraint. Uh, and, and, and we have said that there's a heavy presumption of invalidity. But on the other hand, it's a content-based time, place, and manner regulation. And we have sustained these in case after case. And you want to make this a Friedman case. Uh, Friedman was a case where you had to uh, submit your speech to prior examination, prior submission of speech. And it was in that context, and the Court was very clear, as I recall, in Friedman to say when there must be prior submission of speech, then you have to have uh, the, the procedures Friedman set forth. So I, I think you're really stretching our precedents, particularly Friedman, to put Friedman in your case. It's true. You, you may have some other arguments if there was some content-based uh, suppression going on. But this isn't a Friedman case. Our, our authorities just don't uh, uh, allow us to, to make that leap. Justice Kennedy, with respect, I could not disagree with you more. And I think we can look at a few cases to show that this is surely a prior restraint case. And the one that comes to mind most readily is where that exact same question was presented to this Court when in FWPBS versus the City of Dallas, the Fifth Circuit had held that the Dallas licensing scheme, which was content neutral, period, in all regards, which a content neutral licensing scheme, licensing sexually oriented business in Dallas, was a time, place, and manner restriction. And this Court rejected that approach and said, first, we find that it is an unlawful prior restraint, and therefore it is well, I, I think your premise may be one that we're going to have trouble adopting. This, this is use of a public park. It is limited in terms of size and space. 
and presumably there may well be competing um, interests trying to use the park at the very same time when it can't accommodate every possible use at all times. Now, is there no way that the park can attempt to find uh, rules of the game so that everybody gets accommodated? Justice O'Connor, there's no indication in this record or in any uh, situation that I'm aware Does of. that answer whether that is possible under First Amendment time, place, and manner doctrine? Yes, it's public space. And yes, it is political speech. But is it uh, a possible time, place, and manner regulation to say uh, a group of 300 wants to use it Tuesday and a second group of 600 wants to use it Tuesday, we have to sort out who gets it and when. I Is that no, not possible? Certainly, Justice O'Connor. That's possible. What we complain about is when the government can say, we will decide who gets to use the park, particularly when the scheme is such, when it lacks the kind of standards required, that the government can make that choice improperly. What's but wrong with you the standards? There was a list of 13, and they seem to be reasonable, fairly clear, clear standards. And you are coming to us with a facial challenge. And are we to project that those standards will not work properly? You're not coming to us with any concrete case. Justice Ginsburg, the record in this instance uh, is a solid concrete case. Mr. McDonald was denied his right to core political speech using those standards. And then he was granted it, as I understand it. Mr. McDonald never received a permit uh, from the time he filed this application for he a permit. He did conduct his expression. He was allowed to conduct a spontaneous rally on a very limited basis. No sound system was allowed. No vendors were allowed, no stage, no what structures. About in, in the list that we have of functions that were being held at the park, one of the uh, permitted events was, it may not have been Mr. McDonald, he may have not have been with us anymore, but it was for the same organization, was it not? One of the events in the lodging material? Yes. Yes, that is true. Those have not been obtained without great difficulty, however. Indeed, uh, the brief of uh, the Chicago Park District indicates that the permit for the uh, event for this fall was granted. Park District uh, filed that brief before the organization was notified that somehow the Park District had lost that application and the permit, therefore, was not valid and they'd have to go someplace else. Well, still, the point remains that I, I just think you overstate the case when you tell us this is a Friedman case. Justice O'Connor gave you the simplest time, place, and manner regulation that's content neutral. If there are two groups that want to use a space that can hold a 100 and they're each a 100, do you have to sort out the two? That is not a Friedman case. Sure, I, I suppose if you push us to the wall, it's a prior restraint. Of course, there are cases that say the prior restraints have a heavy burden. But, but we, have, we have sustained in countless cases uh, content-neutral time, place, and manner regulations for the use of parks, and those are not Friedman cases, period, as I read the cases. Uh, no. Justice Kennedy, I think clearly it's a prior restraint. I, mean, there I, I, I happen to disagree with Justice Kennedy's suggestion. I, I think you just have to strain all over the place to find that this is a prior restraint. It's public property, and you're just standing in line with a bunch of other people to get the use of it. Mr. Chief Justice, uh, from Near versus Minnesota forward, the Court has said 
that when speech is prohibited in advance, that is no. a prior Okay, restraint. but near was the shutting down of a padlocking of a newspaper, yes, of a sir. private — the shoe is on the other foot here. Nobody is telling your client that he can't run a printing press in a private place. What your client is coming and saying, we want to use this public park that a lot of other people want to use. And to say that you're going to have to get in line and obey some rules, it doesn't come close to being a prior restraint. My problem with that, Mr. Chief Justice, is not that you have to get in line with other people and, uh, and share the use of the park, which was Justice O'Connor's concern when she uh, posed the time, place, and manner uh, question. My complaint is that the way this scheme is set up, it allows the Park District to choose which people in that line can come forward and get their pass to speak and which people in that line Do will be silent. you think the language of May grant is something that allows uh, too much discretion? Is that your complaint? It is one of our complaints. And or do even we read May as shall grant? If these conditions are met, well, it says I don't know what it means. It says may deny. Is what it, it says means. may deny, but maybe it mean means uh, that the permit must be granted if the categories are met. But that's not what it says, uh, Justice O'Connor. Indeed, the Seventh Circuit uh, recognized that the use of the word may in this scheme creates the potential. You, you agree it must be granted if the conditions are met. You just say it need not be denied if the conditions are not met. That's your complaint, isn't it? Correct. You, you, you agree that if the conditions are met, if your client meets all the conditions, he gets in. I agree with that, Justice Scalia. What You're I'm saying if your client doesn't meet some of the conditions, he may not be allowed in, whereas somebody that the Park District likes more will be allowed in. That's, yes, sir. that's your complaint. That same thing was true, wasn't it, in Poulos? I mean, the language in Poulos was even more protean than the language uh, in, in, the, in the May phrase. I think Poulos uh, would have been decided differently by this Court. So had we, we've got to overrule it to, yes. to hold your way. Had, had, the, had, the, had, your, had your Court, the Supreme Court of New Hampshire, uh, not uh, construed that statute in such a limiting way to say that if you apply for a permit under Poulos and under Cox, you get the permit. There was no discretion to deny. And in the uh, opinion that this Court wrote in Poulos, it pointed that out, that that cured the problem in that case. And I think, realistically, uh, this Court has recognized uh, But wasn't, wasn't the discretion left, the same discretion, in effect, to evaluate facts uh, and to act based upon that evaluation, which the Chicago scheme allows Chicago? My understanding of that case uh, is that uh, — after the construction of the, the New Hampshire Supreme Court placed on it, that became part and parcel of the statute. And even though the statute retained the discretion, it had authoritatively been limited by the New Hampshire Supreme Court. So the discretion was gone by judicial act and not by legislative change. The discretion was gone to deny somebody who met the conditions. Yes, sir. But there, was there no discretion to grant someone who did not meet the conditions? Did this New Hampshire Supreme Court speak to that? Well, the interesting — It's the latter that you're complaining about, not the — It is the latter. By the way, Justice Scalia, there's another aspect of your inquiry. Uh, And we both agree, obviously, that if you meet the qualifications, you're entitled to the permit. It it goes no further. In this case, however, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to show that you meet the qualifications because of the behind-closed-doors way that this permit scheme is imposed 
and implemented. And this case presents the perfect example. As the Court knows from the record in this case, Mr. McDonald vehemently and categorically denied that he had done those things which, under the Code, would deny him a permit. But that made no difference. Not only did the Park District say that, as far as we are concerned, you did it, and you are not entitled to speak, that prevents you, in our opinion, from ever speaking in a park for the rest of your life, and anyone associated with you. But, not that, only didn't, but that didn't happen. And you, you say, you give us this one instance, you don't have a record of uneven application, and beyond that, I would really like to know what is your idea of a scheme that would be compatible with the First Amendment in answer to Justice O'Connor, you said, yes, they can have rules of the road so there aren't too many people at any time, that there aren't colliding events. What scheme do you say is necessary to meet the First Amendment? First, uh, in direct answer to Justice O'Connor's inquiry, a scheme that says you may not obtain a permit for an event at a day and time for which another permit has already been issued, no question. There's no complaint that anyone could have. Well, but, of course, that, that assumes that you can have a permit scheme. So it doesn't work. I'm sorry, Justice Kennedy. That, that, that assumes that you can have a permit scheme. Surely you can have a permit scheme. I think this Court has made it very clear you can well, have a So we're asking what the, what, what the uh, requisites are for the permit scheme. The question may well be, when can you lawfully deny a permit for free speech under this under a permit scheme, in what is the traditional public forum, a public park, and what is the most precious of speech, core political speech? Well, you say the most precious speech. Are, are you suggesting that if, uh, say, somebody wanted to have a softball game in the park and they applied and your client wanted to have a speech in the park and he applied, that your client would, should be given some sort of a preference over the softball game because it's free speech or no. core speech? No, Mr. Chief Justice. I'm saying that if that softball game had a permit, the free speech event will have to take place at another day, at another time, or at another location. Both before the board. I mean, you, you say for, first come, first serve. Is that, is that it? There has to be that rule, too, if the — it I mean, you're, you're, you're positing a situation in which somebody has already been granted a permit for the time. But what if, what about the situation where you have several people who want to get in for a time that has not yet been committed to anybody? A first-come, first-served rule would certainly help the situation. And, of course, these permit applications are dated, time-dated and time-stamped when they are submitted, but there is no requirement that it be first-come, first-served. Okay. What if they collide on the way in to file the permit? What, what's, what's, your, what's your rule then? Does political speech always win? Is that the tiebreaker? Well, obviously, it's a very difficult question on facts which might never, ever occur. And I'm not claiming that when the Park District is making a decision on whether to issue a permit for Space A on Day A, it has to look at these permits and say, oops, political speech, first in line. And that's the if, it, if it doesn't say that, doesn't it retain exactly the discretion that you're complaining about? No, sir. If it said first come, first serve according to the time, date, and time stamp, that would solve the problem. Your, your uh, hypothetical uh, Okay, assumes- we've, we've got the collision at the door. Is if, the, if the tiebreaker rule is political speech always wins, 
your problem doesn't arise. If there isn't that tiebreaker rule, it seems to me there is enough discretion left to be a violation on your view. Well, I would certainly think that this case need not turn on on that somewhat unlikely. Well, maybe, but I'd I'd like to know what the principle is that you want us to apply. And I think the principle that you want us to apply means that when they when they bump each other's foreheads at the door, political speech has got to win, or there's an unconstitutional discretion left, amounting to the possibility of a prior restraint. If that's wrong, tell me why it's wrong. I believe that's wrong because. Well, first of all, again, we're not going to find that situation, but let's assume we did, and they bumped their heads on the way in. First come, first serve is a reasonable approach, if that is a concrete and consistently — Yeah, but you just keep changing the hypothetical. How, what's, what's the principle in the case that the, the time rule, first come, first serve, doesn't work? What's the principle? When first come, first serve does not work? Yeah. The hypo. It would seem that as long as the event is suitable for that particular park, first come, first serve should always work. But by hypothesis, Justice Souter's question is that you can't apply it here because they both came at the same time. Well, uh, I don't have an answer for that, right? You don't have an answer. I, for I that don't. Uh, okay. I really don't. You, you, but you think first come, first serve is a is a thoroughly reasonable rule. I do. When, but you're going to tell when, us when, when, your brief tells me, us. Please, please let me finish. Uh, when, 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 when Pope Paul visited, uh, uh, John Paul visited Chicago, uh, there, there was a rally uh, or a gathering in the Chicago parks. If your client had filed for that day two years earlier, right, the park would have to say, gee, I'm sorry. The park couldn't have a 30-day-before rule. We're not going to grant any applications until 30 days before the event. And we're going to look over all of the, all of the feasible uh, uh, applications uh, at that point. That would not be reasonable? Justice Scalia. So that it, it finds, gee, uh, you know, the Pope's only going to be here one day, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can have this, uh, 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 this uh, um, hemp, concert. hemp concert later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one one would assume that uh, the Can't holder the holder of the permit would be reasonable and accommodating oh, such I'll an extraordinary event as this. <laughs> and if no no no, this is an unreasonable. Uh, <laughs> I've met them. <laughs> the park district always has the availability of going to court to seek a court order in that unusual situation to demonstrate to a court that this is such an extraordinary event that they should be able to withdraw that permit and make reasonable accommodation to the other events. And it's like uh, uh, Justice Souter's uh, hypothetical. It conceivably could happen. It's not going to happen very often. It may never happen. Not Pope John Paul. It's the Beatles, and the Beatles are only going to be there for one day. I mean, you're going to have courts decide whether the Beatles are more important than your hemp concert? No, sir, and that's why I believe that a first-come, first-served rule is going to be reasonable in almost all situations. All right, but just, test, just testing your, your, your brief, you say that even under a first-come, first-served rule, the government has the obligation to go to court to validate the permit. Under Friedman, and I, I just don't get that out of our case. That's a, sure. That's what Friedman said, but Friedman was a very special case, and a time, place, and manner regulation for a park is not. 
Of course, Friedman has, I mean, the, the analysis from Friedman has been used in non-censorship uh, cases, but in that case, the government needs to bear that burden. It's a very slight burden. Mr. It's Wilson, a, where? Where? You say the government goes to court, the Park District goes to the court, and shows that there's no conflict with the First Amendment. The court you're assuming, I gather, if you're following the Friedman mode, mode is a state court. And yet, from this very litigation, it seems that you prefer the federal court. So how would a Friedman scheme do you any good at all, considering that your preferred forum is the federal court? And I don't think if the government brought that case, if the Park District brought that case in the state court, wouldn't you be stuck there? No question. Of course, the Supremacy Clause makes Friedman applicable to that state court. But the likelihood that an individual is going to insist on going forward with judicial review when his permit was denied because another permit had already been issued is slight. No, but I'm asking you, I asked you before, what is the scheme that you said would be constitutional? And one part of it surprised me. You said Friedman. The, you go to the state court. But it seems to me that you don't want to be in state court. You, you have brought here a 1983 action. You could have gone to state court with a 1983 action, but you didn't. The problem with that, we have brought a facial challenge in this case because of the difficulty every single time one has refused a permit in going to state court or federal court and litigating whether that particular denial was appropriate. And the medicine here is to get rid of the bad ordinance, which allows inappropriate and content-based or viewpoint-based decisions behind closed doors, even if they are not authorized on the face of the scheme. It's a burden that the government ought to bear in core political speech cases, and it is not a great burden. It would be a form complaint, spit out of a word processor, to say the permit was denied. Here is a copy of the previously issued permit. We rest. Do you know any park district that does it that way? Well, some have to now. Uh, for instance, in California, it's not a park district, but in uh, response to the decision of the Ninth Circuit in Baby Tam, the California legislature enacted Chapter 49 of the California statutes, which mandates that when a permit is denied for a First Amendment business, which the Baby Tam case involved, it is the government who must bear the burden, and the time limits are very stringent. We're the talking about a, a business, a permit to operate a business, not to hold an event in a public park. Well, I would suggest, uh, Justice Ginsburg, that a permit to hold a core political speech rally in a public park deserves at least as much protection as the permit to operate an adult bookstore. Well, you're, you're arguing for content neutrality. I'm sorry, Mr. Chief. I say you're, I think you're wrong under our cases there. The government has a right to make a substantial choice in determining who's going to use its premises whereas the owner of private premises is entitled to use them as he pleases, subject only to the uh, permit process. But this Court has said that in cases of public parks, the power of the government to restrict free speech activity is at its most circumscribed. And where did we say that? We said that in Hague versus uh, — you said that in Hague well, versus CIO. Sixty years ago. But no one has ever suggested, Mr. Chief Justice, that that is not the law today. And indeed, that one quotation from Hague 
appears in core political speeches through this day. And it is one of the most oft-repeated statements yeah, from the that, hate That case. doesn't make it valid today. But isn't, isn't your argument for applying it this? Your argument seems to boil down to saying a content-neutral set of criteria can be abused. And isn't the answer to that an applied challenge as opposed to a facial challenge? No, it is not, uh, Justice Souter. My answer to that is make the government come into court and demonstrate to a reviewing court that it was not abused, that it was an appropriate denial of speech, and that's where the burden belongs. That's, that's why uh, the, there's no need to retreat from Hague, I wouldn't think. It is important, but the question is what set of rules are appropriate to safeguard the interests of the many people who might want to use the park for different purposes. So why don't you go back to Justice Souter's question and say, well, why isn't it per answer, why isn't it perfectly appropriate to have a set of neutral criteria that is a fair set of criteria, and if they are a disguised way of censoring someone, simply leave that up to the as-applied circumstance where the person who's being censored will go into court and say, Judge, this is a trick. They're after me, and the judge will decide. Justice Breyer, in order to do that, it would seem that this Court would have to retreat from what it said in Forsyth, in which it stated that when a prior restraint in the form of a permit to conduct a political event in a public forum uh, is involved, a facial challenge is appropriate. And the nobody court says that. Nobody denies you can make the challenge. I just want to know why you don't lose the, on the ground that it's, a, that it's a fair set of criteria. And if, in fact, they're not applying that set of criteria fairly, sufficient unto the day. It's the same question, but I think that that's uh, initially what I got from Justice Souter, and I uh, just want to know directly your answer. My answer is that this is a particular situation where facial challenges are appropriate. This is not a case where the individual need to go to court and demonstrate that in this particular instance his permit was wrongly denied. It is the very existence of this scheme, as the Court said in Lakewood, that creates a danger that it was wrongly denied. And because that danger is there, the permit scheme cannot be allowed to stand. I just ask one, one question about your rule about priority as the as the basic rule. I assume they might have a cutoff, say, we won't consider applications more than 90 days ahead of time or something like that. But do you say it is totally impermissible for the park district to use content of what is going to be done in the use of the park as one of the criteria for deciding who gets the and on competing demands? Content of the speech. One is, a, one is a baseball game, another is a concert, another is, is a lecture on, on <coughs> dinosaurs, and another is political speech. Is it totally impermissible to decide that one of those uses is more appropriate in a particular time and place within the park? If there are competing applications and one of them is a free speech event and one of them is a softball game and the decision is made based on what the free speech event is urging, what the message is, that is entirely inappropriate. If, if, it's, this, if it's hostility to the message, I agree yes, completely. Sir. But just supposing all you know about it is they want to make it's a political rally of some kind on the one hand, baseball, music, all those. Can the content, without any hostility to the particular message, be one of the criteria that can, can break ties. Uh, if your question assumes that each of those events would be appropriate for that specific location, then no. 
the first, in, first applied should get the space. I'd like to reserve the remainder. Very well, Mr. Wilson. Uh, Mr. Strauss will hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Uh, first, if I may, I'd like to clarify something about the Park District's regulations. The Park District does use a first-come, first-served rule. It occurs in at least two places in the uh, regulations, in Joint Appendix 143 and Joint Appendix uh, 146. Joint Appendix 143 pre prescribes the order in which applications shall be processed. They shall be processed in the order of receipt. Uh, 146 uh, uh, Criterion number six for denial, one ground for denial. This is I'm reading from Joint Appendix, page 146. One ground for denial is that a fully executed prior application for permit for the same time and place uh, has been received, and a permit uh, has Neither been of those granted. requires the earlier application to be accepted, at least um, not as I read it. Well, first come, first serve if the application is, uh, is valid, yes. It is required to be accepted? Which one of those says that? Well, the, a valid applicant, a fully executed prior application for a permit has been received and a permit has That's been That's a reason for a denial. That's a reason for denial, right. But it doesn't say the converse, that it must be accepted if it's earlier. Um, well, the, a, the, uh, the only ground for denial, uh, there are other grounds, possible grounds for denial. But one ground for denial is someone was there. First. Well, it, it works out that way because of the provision that says application shall be processed in order in the order of receipt. So but you that will doesn't have to require a decision on the processing. I don't see. I really don't see it, and I'm not sure it's commanded either. But uh, uh, I guess let me ask you this: Do you think that that's constitutionally required that it be a first come, first serve rule? Um, well, it is our system, Justice uh, Stevens. Um, uh, I, I, so I, really, this would be a this would be a question that wouldn't be implicated in, in our defense of our system. Um, I guess I think no, it is not constitutionally required to proceed on a first come first serve basis. There could be other other legitimate criteria that might be used, but I do want to emphasize that is what we do. Can you ask for the park three years in advance? Um, my understanding, Justice Scalia, is that we have a practice, although I don't know if it's in if it's written down anywhere, of not accepting applications for more than some period of time in advance. I would I think, think there has to be something. There's some some. Now the whole scheme is written on the basis that uh, the permit may be denied, and there are a set of criteria, but it doesn't appear to be any affirmative requirement that anything be granted if it meets all the requirements. Oh, Justice uh, O'Connor, we, we, uh, we do have to grant it if it meets those requirements. That language that the Park District um, <laughs> may, deny. Uh, may deny is an authorization to the Park District to deny in these circumstances. And it's, not otherwise. And not otherwise. Uh, and not otherwise. And, and it doesn't do anything to uh, govern how you grant competing applications other than the fact that you say there is some kind of built-in first-come, first-serve basis. The way the competing applications are handled is on a first-come, first-serve basis. One, one of the objections made by the petitioner was that either in this case or reading the regulations, you don't have to give written reasons. He said, that, he said that there was no record and so forth. It seemed to me that was uh, — I'd like you to respond respond to that. Uh, Justice Kennedy, we do provide reasons. Um, that was my — and you uh, did this in this is, case? Um, yes, we did in this case. It's, that is in the record. The uh, exchange of letters between Petitioner's predecessor, Mr. McDonald, and the Park District is in the 
Joint Appendix. And this uh, was based on, on previous damage and material misrepresentations in the early years? That's right. It was based on previous violations. And, in fact, in this case, um, uh, we gave Mr. McDonald notice that he had engaged in conduct in violation of his permit when he did it, before he submitted the subsequent application. And do the regulations require that you give the reasons? Yes, they do. I'm reading now Joint Appendix, uh, page 145. The section is misnumbered. It's correctly numbered in the appendix to our brief, but the substance is the same. Um, Notice of denial of an application for a permit shall clearly set forth the grounds upon which the permit was denied. Thank you. Um, and then goes on to say that where feasible, if, if, there is a com- if there is a competing use, the Park District will propose a way to accommodate the, uh, accommodate the use. That's a requirement on us to try to uh, provide an alternative site or alternative date. to. Could you explain the, the degree of discretion to grant in the event that the conditions are not satisfied? Yes, Justice Souter. Our uh, view, which we think is, is really the only reasonable reading of the ordinance, is that we can exercise discretion, as it were, within the criteria, so that if there is uh, a way to grant the application that of, of an application that's in violation that does not defeat the purposes of the conditions, we will try to do that. Let me, let me be more concrete about it. The place where this comes up most frequently is with a late application, and the park district's — a late — a late application, application that's not submitted. We have a, a, a schedule of deadlines, which are very specific. Often they're not met. In fact, they're habitually not met by um, — uh, Justice Black's terms from Martin against Cities, Struthers, the poorly financed causes of little people. Those are the people who often get their applications in late. Uh, and the Park District's view is if it's — if we can make the necessary accommodations and do the necessary setup and the necessary coordination and free the space for you, even though your application is late, we will do it. And that's the kind of discretion we exercise. That Would there have been discretion in this case? Or let's assume the only — prior violation uh, had been the, the, the fact that at that early gathering, people were still hanging around at 11 o'clock after the par- or after 11 when the park closed. Would there have been discretion to forgive that? Yes, there would have been. If we had concluded that um, if, if, if the applicant said to us something that gave us reason to believe it wouldn't happen again, or if the nature of the event were such that if it was scheduled earlier in the day or something like that, that it wouldn't happen again or that if it happened again, it wouldn't be so much of a problem. But we don't assert, and I don't think you can assert, consistent with the ordinance, a kind of free-floating discretion to overlook violations for people we like and not for people we don't like. I think that would be a violation of the ordinance. Does the record tell us how many uh, permits are granted and how many denied each year by Uh, the park? uh, Justice O'Connor, on the grants, the record, uh, the, the most precise number we have in the record is that there are thousands of applications and thousands of grants a year. Uh, we submitted to the court um, the uh, permits in our lodging, the permits granted from January through August of this year, and there were over a thousand of those in one region. How about denials? Denials, Justice O'Connor, is a hard number to come up with, um, and this bears on the Friedman versus Maryland point, because what often happens is that the denial takes the form of saying, well, we can't accommodate you at this space at this time, but if you're willing to move your event a week later or willing to move it to this alternative site, then we can accommodate you. Now, I suppose that's a denial because we are not granting the permit applied for, and I suppose if petitioner prevails, we would have to go to court and defend that denial, which seems a, 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 a really unworkable scheme. But because of that, the Park District really can't uh, — couldn't tell me how many denials there are because so many of them are — um, are worked out, and the event goes forward uh, in, a, in a different time or place from that which was applied for. 
I think there are really three ways in which this case differs from Friedman against Maryland, one which, which uh, uh, was suggested by some questions from the Court. Perhaps the most important one, of course, is that in Friedman, the Board of Censors, self-described Board of Censors, was explicitly concerned with the content of speech. We are not only not concerned with the content of speech, we are not concerned with whether the event involves speech or expressive activity at all. And if you look at the application form, um, unless the applicant somehow discloses it, there is really no way for us to know from the application form what kind, whether this is a speech-related event um, or not. The box that Mr. McDonald checked was marked corporate slash festival, um, which could include a variety of events not, not involved. I guess uh, a permit was denied to Mr. McDonald based on some prior event where people uh, stayed after 11 o'clock. Uh, Justice O'Connor was denied for multiple reasons. Um, it was denied partly because it wasn't filled out properly. Um, the form was uh, omitted information partly because one of the applicants was not an organization that had the capacity to sue or be sued, um, and also because of a series of violations, of mm -hmm. which that was only one. There was also — Are, are there uh, administrative mechanisms in place for someone who wants to challenge the basis for the denial, to yep. raise it administratively? Yes, there is, Justice O'Connor. There is a provision for an appeal to the general superintendent of the Park District from the decision made by the um, permitting officers in the Park District, um, and you can submit any material uh, you like to the general superintendent who must rule on it promptly. If he doesn't rule on it promptly, then the appeal is deemed allowed. I take it that's the second distinction from Friedman. Well, the second distinction, Friedman, well, that, that is a distinction, uh, Justice Souter, but the second distinction really is that a, a key premise of Friedman is that the decision in question was one that the courts had superior competence to make and that the agency was to be distrusted in making. The court said this, the, the decision was whether the speech is constitutionally protected or is obscene. And a theme of Friedman is, as the Court said in Friedman, the censor's business is to censor, and this is really something that requires, in the Court's words, judicial participation. What we're dealing with here is the management of parks, where I think the this, this story is reversed. And that when you're dealing with whether a particular use is appropriate for this area of the park with this infrastructure, this is the kind of question that the Park District has superior competence with, and there's really no reason to insist, as the Court did, on judicial participation. Does, this, does the same problem get injected by the exception clause in the ordinance that, in fact, they can waive conditions if there would be a First Amendment violation? Um, uh, Justice uh, Souter, that, that clause, um, uh, two, two things about that clause are, uh, are salient, I think. First, um, that clause only comes into play, the, the clause that uh, provides that we shall waive certain fees when someone is engaged in First Amendment activity and otherwise couldn't hold the event if we didn't waive the fees. That only comes into play if someone applies for a waiver. So we're in a situation where someone has come to us and in order to seek this dispensation has told us you're, we're engaging in expressive activity. And the second thing which is — Which happened here. The, uh, he, which happened here, and in one instance he got his yeah. um, dispensation. The other thing is we feel we have to have that in there because of suggestions in this Court's opinions in Murdoch and in um, Forsyth County. Um, that there might be a constitutional issue if we charge more than a nominal fee. Okay. And the third distinction that you want to rely on? The third distinction, Justice Souter, is that in the Friedman context, uh, the Court had indicated a strong preference for after-the-fact regulation, that uh, if, the com if a community is concerned about 
obscenity. The way to regulate that is by after-the-fact criminal prohibitions. Prior restraints are strongly disfavored and to be allowed only in narrowly hedged circumstances. Um, but the Court has never suggested that when it comes to managing the parks, the preferred way to do it is somehow by allowing people to do what they will and then punish people after the fact who have done the wrong thing, who have who have conducted an event in a way that conflicted with another event. Mr. Strauss, you've ably distinguished Friedman, but do you think that none of the procedural safeguards that were involved in Friedman are applicable here? I mean, starting with the basic, the, the administrator has to have some time limit to act on these petitions to hold events. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, I would put that part of Friedman in a different category. I think the requirement that the administrator act within a specified period is a corollary of the rule that the administrator cannot have unlimited discretion over whether to grant or deny. Just as unlimited discretion over whether to grant is a problem, unlimited discretion over when to grant is a problem. I I think there's uh, considerable merit what you've just said, although at the end of your brief you you make the final argument that uh, this is really not a speech statute anyway. Uh, am I to uh, infer from that that you think we could write an opinion to say that neutral standards are not necessary? Uh, yes, that was going to be the second part of my answer to Justice Ginsburg, Justice Kennedy. That is our position. Our, 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 uh, our claim does not hinge on that. Um, the Court could disagree with us on that and still rule in our favor in this case. But it is our position that because this statute applies, this ordinance applies so broadly to such a wide range of conduct, much of which, most of which, is not expressive, that it really should be viewed as more like a business license or a, a building permit. Um, which or, of course, or a zoning ordinance. Or a zoning permit variance of some kind, which, of course, apply to expressive activities, but to a lot of other activities, too. And that, that, the easy way to answer that argument is to say we've never done this with reference to parks. Well, that's uh, right, Justice Kennedy, but as some of the questions from the Court suggested um, uh, during my colleague's argument, um, because these are parks, perhaps the government has more leeway than it would have in telling people what they can do on their own property. I understand that, on the other hand, they are public forums, and I'm not sure how that, whether those arguments cancel out. Um, but uh, it seems to me the crucial fact here is that the Park District is not only not engaged in the business of censoring speech, it is at the far extreme from that, and it is regulating conduct because it affects the infrastructure of the parks or the uses of the parks, and much of this conduct is in no obvious way expressive. And in our view, that seems to make it more like a, uh, a business license. But you did say that you, you feel some impulsion from the First Amendment to have a, you have to make a decision within a set time to guard against abusive discretion. You said that. How about need there be any avenue for judicial review after we get through with your park administrator? Uh, Justice Ginsburg, I think, um, uh, well, for anyone claiming a violation of a constitutional right, there should be an avenue for prompt judicial review. and uh, uh, further, I think that part of Friedman is intended to deal with a situation like that present in some of this Court's cases in uh, um, FWPBS and in Shuttlesworth in particular, a situation where the applicant can't be quite sure when the permit's been denied. So, so, so the applicant doesn't quite know when it's okay to go to court. And that was what happened in Shuttlesworth, and I think that troubled the Court. And I think that's the idea that when the Court said in FWPBS there must be an avenue for prompt um, judicial review, 
that's what the Court uh, had in mind, that um, the permitting scheme can't be set up in such a way that uh, whenever the, when the applicant goes to court, the permitting authority can then can step back and say, oh, we haven't denied the permit yet. Um, uh, here, it's clear when we deny it, we have to act within a certain number of days. We have to issue a statement. The statement has to give the reasons. Um, and there is — and at that point, the decision can be challenged in state court in a variety of ways. It can also be challenged. Well, the very fact that you have those provisions in means it's a little different from the ordinary zoning ordinance or business license, because those are all motivated by First Amendment concerns, I assume. May I ask you, how, how would you — character? I understand your basic position, but are you saying that — this is not a prior restraint, or that it's a permissible prior restraint. Well, Justice, are you just ducking the issue? No, Justice Stevens, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to duck the issue. I'd want to say it was a terminological issue, which I, I guess is different from ducking it. Um, I think it's misleading to characterize it as a prior restraint. As Justice Kennedy said, there is some technical definitional way in which yes, it is a prior restraint, um, but it really has none of the characteristics that have caused the court to subject prior restraints to the presumption of unconstitutionality. In particular, as I said to Justice Souter, this isn't an area in which the Court has said the preferred way of regulating is by after-the-fact criminal punishments. The Court's always recognized that, what common sense tells us, that this is an area where you really do need before-the-fact guidance, or at least before-the-fact guidance is acceptable. Um, that, combined with the fact that it's um, not a content-based uh, — not only not a content-based scheme, not a scheme that even refers to expression at all, I think gives it none of the characteristics that have troubled the Court about prior restraints. So in light of that, whether it is technically called not a prior restraint or a valid prior restraint, I think really is a terminological point. So if, if something like this is to be considered — Valid. What are the limits to make it reasonable as a regulation? We've already mentioned prompt action should be required, perhaps, by the park. Do you agree with that? Um, if uh, the Court uh, does not accept our argument that this is more like a business license, mm -hmm. um, then, yes, prompt mm -hmm. action or a specified time for action by the administrator. And prompt uh, judicial needed. review opportunity. And an opportunity for prompt judicial review. That's right. How Otherwise, the, just — How about the adequacy of judicial review? I take it one objection was that you don't get any actual hearing in court. Everything is on the paper record. Um, Justice Ginsburg, my — reading of the Illinois cases is that that's not true, even in state court. And, of course, the, the applicant has the option of going to federal court. My reading of the Illinois cases is that you can join a claim for equitable relief with the common law certiorari, which is the Illinois way of reviewing administrative proceedings. And you can certainly, it's clear, you could join a 1980 state court 1983 action, and that would allow you to conduct full discovery. Um, but I guess my more fundamental answer to your question, Justice Ginsburg, is it seems odd in this case to speculate about the adequacy of Illinois procedures when petitioner hasn't invoked them and hasn't complained about the adequacy of the federal proceedings that he has invoked, that the place to decide whether Illinois provides adequate proceedings would be in a case where someone invokes them, um, and the Court then sees what the Illinois courts are, are prepared to do in a case of this kind. The Court has no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Strauss. Mr. Feldman, we'll hear from you. <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. 
It's our position that the Park District's ordinance satisfies the First Amendment standards and the judgment of the Court of Appeals should be affirmed. Well, do you think we should view it, as Mr. Strauss urges, as a zoning ordinance or a business license or as some kind of content-neutral time, place, and manner restriction? I, I think more of the latter. This is a public forum. There was a finding. In, there may be a, other government property that wouldn't fall uh, within that category, but it is a public forum. And uh, uh, restrictions on speech in a public forum are subject to the First Amendment. But the restrictions in this ordinance, the, uh, the relevant restrictions are that the discretion that has to be, uh, that may be exercised by the administrative body can't be unfettered. But on the other hand, total precision is not required. And I think, as Mr. Strauss explained, there are 13 specified grounds under which a permit may be denied here. And those are the only grounds under which it may be denied, and I think that's an adequate guidance uh, for, the, for whatever uh, discretion or flexibility would be in the system. And, indeed, some flexibility is necessary in a system where you're trying to accommodate competing users and where the alternative, as the Court of Appeals said, if you allowed no flexibility at all, would be even a minor or technical violation of one of those uh, criteria would have to lead to a denial of a permit, which would mean a lot fewer people using the park, both for speech and for non-speech purposes. Um, make it a lot fairer, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if you either meet the criteria or you don't, if you don't meet them, you don't get a permit. What's the matter with that? The, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the problem the, would be exactly the kind of thing that Mr. Strauss described, is that uh, if there is a uh, minor, if, if you put in your permit application slightly too late or there was a stray mark on your application, requiring total strictness on any of these criteria would just mean that people who really should be entitled to have the opportunity to speak. Well, they didn't follow, follow the rules. I mean, uh, you, you're, you're, you're giving enormous discretion to the, to the city. They, they don't have discretion to deny, but among those that are deniable, they can allow some in and not allow others in. But I think Why I th- don't you just say these are the rules? If you come in late, you, you haven't complied with the rules, period. That's very fair. I think, as I think, as Mr. Strauss, I think as Mr. Strauss said, the 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 the, the whatever though the flexibility or discretion that remains in a system like this would be ex- has to be exercised in accordance with those grounds for denial. Those are the only grounds that are listed, and I think those are the only things the park district is supposed to be taking into account in deciding whether to grant or deny a permit. And but you can how do you say how do you say it doesn't frustrate the purpose of of the provision which says. You know, the, the thing has to be in, you know, two weeks beforehand. If you get it in one week beforehand, how can you possibly say it doesn't frustrate the, the purpose of the provision? The purpose is to give you two weeks to consider it. Right. But I, I think, well, you could, it, it could well be that the purpose is to make sure that the Park District can guarantee it can consider it. But if, they, if it comes in on a day, uh, one day late, but there's nothing else on top of it that they're waiting to consider, if it's in the wintertime when they have very few permit applications, they can get to it anyhow, and there's no reason for them not to permit that use of the park. In any even, event, even apart from that, I assume there's no way to write a regulation that is not going to require some, some judgment, some discretion. I mean, what's material in the falsehood? What is the conflict in the uses? I don't suppose you can eliminate that degree, the, the degree of flexibility that is implied in, in applying concepts like that. I, I think that's right. And I think a crucial feature of this uh, requirement is that, of the ordinance here, is that the parks are used for multiple uses by multiple people. There's a concern with preserving park, the park's own facility, so the people who will use the same place in the future will have that available to them. 
And there has to be some availability to accommodate all that in a normal and ordinary administrative scheme. And I think this scheme is well drawn, and if there are further difficulties with it, they can be challenged on an as-applied basis. One thing the Park District can't do is make its decision based on uh, favoring or disfavoring particular kinds of speech. If would, would it that, be, that should be addressed on, a, on, a, on an as-applied basis, and, and I think it could be in the state court proceedings or in a 1983 proceeding. Along the lines of Justice Scalia's question, would it be proper for uh, city council or municipality to draft an ordinance just like this one, and then, then at the end saying uh, the commissioner of parks, in his sole discretion, may waive any or all of the foregoing requirements? I think the, the only difficult it would depend on what that meant. If it said if in his sole discretion meant he may consider anything he want anything, I think that would be that would probably be a problem. But if it meant considering the the factors that are the legitimate factors on whether someone should use the park, which are the ones that are set out in the, the criteria in the uh, ordinance, I think it would be actually similar to uh, what the ordinance is. Well, we've said in, in cases like Forsyth that the uh, discretion has, has to uh, have have some definition and some control to it. And if you have at the end an, an absolute waiver provision, it seems to me that would contradict that. I, I, think, well, I think that's right. If, if, the, if the meaning of that provision is that notwithstanding what we've just said, the commissioner has absolute uh, discretion, I think that that would be correct. And that would pose a problem under Forsyth and the other cases that, uh, uh, that have said that you can't have that kind of unfettered discretion. But this is a guided, this is a statute that is quite limited and guided. Well, how, how do we know that? How do, where, where, where does it say that, uh, that the May, uh, the May grant anyway is limited to those applications that generally meet the purposes of the state? Where does it say that? We just take your word for it? Well, or, or the uh, park district's word for it? I think that that would at least be the most reasonable construction of an ordinance like this where there's an attempt to detail these 13 specific criteria quite uh, uh, specifically, uh, and there's no suggestion that there's any other basis on which uh, the Park District can act. And I think that that's just the most reasonable interpretation of this kind of ordinance. And again, on a facial as applied, one difficulty with a facial uh, facial challenge to an ordinance like this is you don't want to construe it in such a way as to intentionally render it unconstitutional and therefore limit the ability of the Park District uh, to make its facilities open and to, uh, to have a permit scheme that really makes its facilities open to Mr. all. Feldman, do the federal regulations for the use of federal parks, the use of the mall, do they differ with respect to the may deny? No, they're — well, they're very similar. The specific criteria are different uh, and are differently are quite but there different. is the, the may deny implying that there are cases where, although you could, you don't have to deny. That's correct. And, and no criteria for the waiver in the federal, in the no, federal the, scheme? No, and the way those are, have consistently been applied is those are the grounds that are supposed are to be considered uh, uh, in determining whether you can grant a permit. And there aren't other grounds on which uh, a, a permit would be denied. Now, there, the only other — but actually in the federal scheme at least, and probably here too, some types of other — some types of considerations can be uh, considered, for example, if — Someone has a particular facility that would be particularly good for one use. If someone wants to hold a rally on a baseball field, someone else wants to have a baseball game there, I think they can say, well, you have the baseball game on the baseball field and you have your rally at another location. And there is some of that that goes on in proposal, uh, proposing different particular locales so as to accommodate all of the different users who want to use the park. And, and is there a first-come, first-serve uh, uh, rule? Basically, yes. Uh, if you satisfy the other requirements of the rule, it's basically similar to this. It's subject to the actual first-come, first-served rule and the National Park Service 
uh, parks here in Washington like this has to do with the date of the application, not the date in which it's processed. If there are no other further questions, that concludes. Thank you, Mr. Feldman. Mr. Wilson, you have two minutes remaining. Justice O'Connor, I'd like to address quickly two points that you raised. First, there's no meaningful administrative uh, procedure. There is no mechanism. They send you a letter telling you that your permit was denied and they read off the, the violations. You send a letter back and say, I did not do any of that. And they say, oh, yes, you did, denied. That's the end of it. There is no hearing. You don't even get to know who made the allegations. Secondly, uh, in your inquiry as to judicial review, uh, this Court unanimously provided us with a crystal-clear definition of prompt judicial review. There should be no mystery in the Federal Circuits. Uh, another unanimous opinion, Blunt versus Rizzi, written by the same justice who wrote Friedman, and uh, on a Court that contains six of the justices who participate in Friedman. Uh, Blunt defined prompt judicial review as follows. A final judicial determination on the merits within a specified brief period. That was in 1971. So there should have been no mystery from the plurality opinion in FWPBS because that plurality opinion did not say there must be the availability of judicial review. That opinion said there must be the availability of prompt judicial Mr. review. Mr. Wilson, what does that mean if you pick the federal court, that Illinois is going to write a statute that says, and if you choose to come to the federal court rather than the state court, the federal court's going to have X number of days to decide it? Justice uh, Ginsburg, that would be the choice of the park district of the city of Chicago because the park district is the, is the party that has to go to court to seek uh, uh, oh, if, if you But that's not what Justice O'Connor said in, in her case. She didn't take but, that last part of Friedman. But there's certainly a distinction between those businesses that Justice O'Connor was writing about in FWPBS and a core well, political suppose speech. suppose we reject your notion that the scheme is invalid unless the park goes to court and the court has a tight timeline. Suppose if, we reject that. I would then say, uh, Justice Ginsburg, that this court has uh, elevated the kind of sexually explicit speech in that case above the core political speech in this case, based on the content of the speech, which would fly in the face of... Well, I don't follow that at all. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.